Well, we're going to begin today, and we're going to be talking about worldview. I'm going to give you an illustration, and maybe you've heard me share this illustration before. There are two fish, younger fish, and they are swimming, and they're swimming in the water because that's where fish swim. They're swimming in one direction, and another fish, an older fish, swims past him like the opposite direction. And as he passes the two younger fish, he says, hey, boys, how's the water today? And they keep uh, swimming, and they don't say anything back to him. They're like, okay, that's a little weird. And they get a little further out of earshot distance from the older fish, and the two fish look at each other, and they say to each other, they go, well, what is water? What is water? Well, water is your worldview. Water is your worldview. Now, chances are your mama, your mommy never sat you down. Your daddy maybe never sat you down and said, you know, son, you know, daughter, this is our worldview. This is what we believe. And most of us were never taught a worldview. And today we're going to focus on worldview. Why? Because your worldview, whether you understand it or not, will either inhibit or control much of your thinking and much of your actions. Every culture that's ever existed in the history of forever has presuppositions about the way things work. And here in the West, we have what we would call a Western viewpoint, a Western paradigm, a Western worldview that controls the way we observe and look at things. I want to give you an illustration. Uh, my wife, Nicole, wears glasses when she's at her office, office desk, when she's looking at her two screens. The reason she wears glasses is because her genes are inferior to mine in terms of eyes. And uh, I'm going to keep moving like I didn't say that. I have stronger eyesight than she does, and she uses those lenses. A worldview is a lot like a set of lenses. And when we look at the world, when we look at anything in the world, we are looking through a set of lenses. And those lenses are the presupposition of how we think things are made, how things are created, and how they work, and so on. And so when we look at the world, we automatically, without meaning to, we look through those lenses and we draw conclusions about how things are made. And we look through those lenses and then we get feedback from those lenses. It is an unarticulated view about how the world works. And in the Western world, our view centers around rationalism and materialism. We are Western rationalists. And this is important because two-thirds world, the two-thirds world, they don't have a Western worldview. They have an experiential worldview. And the Western worldview is different than an experientialistic worldview. I'm going to give you another illustration. There's a Soviet psychologist from back in the day. His name is Lev Vygotsky, which is a great Russian name. I mean, I just love that. And he examined how farmers living in Central Asia, how they would approach verbal and logic syllogisms, okay? And some of his syllogisms had familiar words, and they were a practical content that they would understand, but they would have to apply their worldview in a different way. So I'm going to give you an example of one of the actual logic syllogisms that he used with these farmers in Central Asia. And it goes like this. Cotton doesn't grow in cold countries. England is a cold country. Does cotton grow in England? 
I, that's awesome. We're going to have a great day. If that's where we're at, participate. I have so much participation stuff on the way. So, okay, this is so good. Thank you, especially Brianna. Okay, that's good. That's awesome. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what it is. So, so we would all say, we, we all were like, no, it's not. Get this. 97% of the participants who lived in Central Asia said that they could not answer the question because they were not qualified to answer the question because they had not been to England. Okay? This is different. If I was to go to my third grader and I was to ask her that same syllogism and I was to ask her, she would have easily done the same thing that you did. She said, no. Why? Because in the West, we have been trained to extrapolate from fact that cotton doesn't grow in England. And the presupposition of our culture supports the activity of the extrapolation of data. Are we, are we, are we good here? Is this all making sense? Okay, good. Now, when it comes to experiencing the power of God, and when it comes to experiencing his presence in our lives, when it comes to experiencing and encountering miracles, like miracles that are not really rational, that are transrational, when it comes to being able to recognize the supernatural activity that's happening every day as we walk down the street or when we're at work or we're in a busy city setting, when it comes to that, our Western worldview is a primary inhibitor from seeing that. So let me explain a little bit more what this is. Worldview if you're taking notes, this, is, this would be one to write down. Worldview is primarily what we see. Worldview is primarily what we see. And if you know anything about seeing, seeing is a learned process. And it's difficult to see what we have not seen before. And so I'd like to use an illustration. Um, I had these made especially, and I had to pick them up from the store and everything. Now, I want to open this up to you, and I want you to tell me what you see. I'm going to hold it up for just a second. What do you see? What do you see? You can, you can talk with each other. You see a grandma. What do other people see? A pretty girl. How do you know? What do you see? Do you see? Who sees what? Wait, okay. So what did you see? Lady with a fur coat? What kind of a lady with a fur coat? A high-class lady. Did anyone else see, like, a shrew? Is that, is that the wrong word? Old lady? Okay, we'll do that. Cool. I don't know. Like, someone that you would hear about in a Disney story. A shrew? But I won't use it anymore. Okay, I've been... There's a certain gender looking at me saying, don't do that. <laughs> I apologize for this inconvenience. What do we see? Do you see does everyone see both or just one? Use it. Brianna sees both. How about over here, Well Collective? What do you see? I see. <laughs> they see an older woman. That's good. Now, the point is, is that some of you are not going to, I'm not going to call you out, but some of you, the first time you saw it, you didn't see it. You didn't see it. And the first time you see it, you don't see it. It's learned. And it happens over time. It happens over time, and it's not exactly the first thing that you see. And we are unaware that seeing 
is a learned process. If you have children or if you've ever interacted with a child, like say you have cousins or nephews or nieces on any level, it is, especially when they're younger, it is a constant discussion about what they are seeing. Well, what's that? And what's that? And what's that? And what do you see there? What do you see there? And sometimes, sometimes this is what happens with the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit starts to do supernatural things with the human being, whether it's like a manifestation that we weren't expecting when the Holy Spirit comes to rest on somebody, whether we see somebody crying or shaking or um, God's presence is manifest in their physical body in a very unique way, uh, the problem is, is that our Western minds haven't necessarily been trained to understand what we're seeing. And the goal of this series, what we've been doing with the Power and Presence series, is that we would be trained to be able to see differently, that we'd be able to see something that we could not see before. And you can see the progression from one way of seeing to another way of seeing, and that leads us to what uh, the wonderful Glenn Anderson was able to read for us. And we see these in these verses in Mark 8. Look at it. There's a blind man, and Jesus does what? He spits on his eyes. <laughs> By the way, that's, that's a wild one. I mean, what if we made a call for ministry to spit on people? <laughs> I don't know how many people would respond. Not many, I'm sure. But Jesus spits on his eyes. And the first thing he says, oh, I see things like trees walking around. Well, we don't know. If he had been blind since birth, how does he know what trees are? Maybe he had a previous sight before and lost it. And then Jesus puts his hands on his eyes once more, and then he sees clearly. I mean, first of all, can you imagine spitting on someone? That's pretty wild. But also, I need you to take note, since we've been talking about healing quite a bit here, note that Jesus prayed twice for something. Notice that, like, he spit on the man's eyes and the man wasn't instantly healed. It took, like, two rounds. And a lot of times we get, um, you know, people that believe that God can heal, and we see people healed, sometimes there's criticism, like, well, if you're doing it, they would say, if you're doing it like Jesus did it, then you would be healed on the first run. And you got to go, well, maybe. Well, maybe. I mean, there's multiple examples of Jesus having to do multiple rounds with people. It's not that he didn't get it right on the first time. It was like it just took a little while to, to do it. We even see this with the, the demoniac. There's many demons living inside of a human being, and Jesus had prayed a lot of times for this person to be relieved from that. The second thing you need to see is that the healing came in stages here. So um, it was an instant Although sometimes healing is instant, and sometimes it's progressive. And the healing was an event, and then the process of that occurred afterwards. And I think we just need to note this, that like when, you, when someone prays for you for healing, or when you pray for someone for healing, sometimes it will be instant, and other times it could be progressive. And it might be something that takes a while to, to get there. Um, sometimes we don't understand even why people are partially healed. Like, we just don't understand that, but it's true. Sometimes people are only healed partially for many years until God completes the healing. So another way to think about this, I want to use another illustration here. What I want you to do, you see this? Okay, here's what I'm, I'm going to hold this up for just a minute. Are you taking it in with your eyes? Can you see it? Now the question is, now don't, yeah, the question is, how many squares do you see? But don't yell it out. Don't yell it out. I'm going to hold it up for five seconds. How many squares do you see? How many squares do you see? 
All right, how many squares do you see? How many squares did you see? Right, don't yell it out, don't yell it out. Here, hold on, hold on. All right, all right, uh, don't shout out, keep it to yourself. I swear you keep it to yourself. All right, how many of you saw like 10 squares? How many of you saw 20 squares? How many of you saw more than 30 squares? How many of you saw more than 40 squares? How many of you would like to see it again? <laughs> All right, take a look. Keep looking, keep looking. Okay, now that you've had an opportunity to see it again, what is the correct answer? Now you have an opportunity to see it again. What is the correct answer? Now you can shout it out. The correct answer is whatever you saw. Because the question was not how many squares are there. The question was how many squares do you see? Oh, I'll fight you. I'll fight you. You... Our worldview is often controlled by what we see, but it is also controlled by how we are actually hearing and communicating, all right? There's more. There is potentially more happening that God wants to do. And what I hear, I'm here to say to you on this point is that there's probably more that God wants you to see that you are currently not seeing. There's things that are happening in your life that you don't see that he wants to do something with. And there's things around you in the interactions that you have with people, the interactions you have with your parents, if your parents are still in the picture, the interactions you have with your siblings if you have them, the interactions you have with your coworkers and your neighbors, your significant other, or the person you're interested in. There's things that are happening. And my question to you is, have you gone to God and have you asked him to help you see more? There's more that is happening than we can possibly see, than that you're seeing right now. So worldview is what we see. The second thing, if you're taking notes, is worldview has to do with communication. And this one's interesting. If you look at that John 2 passage, um, Jesus says that destroy this temple and I'll raise it up three days later. And they reply, and this is really important. He go, uh, they, this is the, all his audience. They were sitting there go, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. And how are you going to raise it in three days? And it says that he was actually talking about his body. Well, the problem with this is that the text deals with the learning and the developing process. In these verses, when Jesus says temple, he says, what does he say? Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. It could have only meant the physical building. And if you study hermeneutics, I don't know if some of you have studied hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the branch of knowledge that deals with the interpretation of the Bible. You will find that the text calls for this interpretation. That that's what the words actually mean. There was no known metaphor for temple, for body at that time when Jesus said it. When he said temple, it meant temple. It meant the physical building that they were standing in front of. That was the context. But in these verses we see that we're kind of stuck having to draw this weird conclusion about Jesus. Either Jesus is really bad with communication and he doesn't understand what words mean, or is there another dimension to the world that we are missing? 
And today, for us, the issue is that some of us might be drawing conclusions that have contextual truth, but they might actually be missing a larger truth. This is what we see in these verses. Jesus goes, destroy the temple, and I'll raise in three days. They go, well, that doesn't make sense contextually. That is not the truth. Rationally, we understand what it's supposed to be. And they were missing. And it wasn't until Jesus was resurrected that the disciples go, ah, he was talking about himself. And the disciples, over time, learned that they needed to go to God for the full revelation, as do you. There are certain rational things that you see in the world, but it is not the full revelation that God might want to reveal to you. But again, the deeper issue is that we are taught in our Christian walk that our personal experience should not control our theology. We, maybe you've heard that. We say we shouldn't let our spirit experience qualify our theologizing. I was taught that. I'm sure you were taught that. You're probably a Christian for five minutes where people go, don't, don't apply your personal experience on the theological piece. But yet, as I have dialogued, and as I have had conversations with people, as I have like wrestled with people on both sides of the issue of the supernatural doing things, I've found that experience most certainly controls our thinking. And in the final analysis, when I'm dialoguing with someone, in the final argument, they will say something to the effect, well, I just can't believe it because that has not been my experience. And I say back to them, well, we can rectify that. Let's pray. Let's see what happens. To review, worldview is primarily what we see. It's in our communication. And then lastly, it is conditioning. It is conditioning. Sometimes what you are able to see is driven by your need. Have you ever been in a busy city setting or at a park or at a picnic or a beach and you have to go to the bathroom really bad and you are searching for that toilet? As soon as humanly possible, you have to get to that toilet. You have to go to the bathroom really bad. And what happens in that moment is you can't see anything else. All you can think about, all you've been conditioned in that moment, mentally and emotionally, like, I don't want to not make it to the bathroom. I must very much hurry and get to the bathroom. The setup. Jesus, in this last set of verses, feeds 5,000 people. They're like, we're hungry. And he's like, no problem. Boom, 5,000 people fed. Miracle. A bona fide miracle. And in response to that, you see their conditioning, which made them blind to what Jesus was actually doing. It's wild. So he goes, okay, here's some food. And they all eat till they're full. And then it says, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. This is wild. The people thought that Jesus coming, they saw it. They were conditioned from the moment of their birth to think that this was a political kingdom. And any time Jesus did a miracle, this was the need-driven lens through which they viewed the world. And this is, in particular, this is partially why 
the message of Jesus spread so quickly throughout ancient Judea because the people, as they were experiencing the miracles of Jesus, they would immediately conditioned, they were immediately conditioned to say that this sign of power was the sign of things to come when Jesus would come, when the Messiah would come, he would throw out the Roman occupiers and set himself up as king. That this power was a sign of the coming political revolution. And the disciples, I mean, all the people, they were like going to make him king by force because he fed them. The disciples even thought this. The disciples got this wrong. And like, you know, they're on this long journey from uh, up in Nazareth all the way down to Jerusalem where Jesus would eventually die. But they're headed to Jerusalem and the 12 disciples, they've already got their condos picked out in Jerusalem. They're buying something that's going to be near the Capitol building. They're like regularly fighting with each other about who's going to get to be number two and number three in the kingdom. They're fighting with each other about who's going to have the most, who's going to be the chief of staff, who's going to be the director of energy. They're fighting over these positions. Not particularly, don't, you know, you know what I'm saying. And so even after Jesus rose from the dead, right before he ascends into heaven, the disciples are standing with him on like a little kind of mountain. And they're like, wow, this is amazing. And you came and you rose from the dead. This is pretty cool. And they look at him and they go, now is now the time you will restore the kingdom of Israel? And he looks at him and he's like, you just don't get it, do you? And then he shot up into the air. I would have liked to see that one. And he zooms up. Here's something to ponder. Here's something to ponder. If the need of the first century disciples and the Jewish people could blind them so much that they could not understand what was really happening in the first coming of Jesus... Is it possible that this could happen with us in the second coming of Jesus? Is it possible if a political misunderstanding could happen regarding the first coming of Jesus? Is it possible that it could happen to us as we apply our political conditioning on our social ambitions on the world? Could it be that we might have a problem with our view of morality or our view of justice or our understanding of the way we personally hold the tension perfectly in the hot button issues of our day. I know everyone else doesn't hold the, the tension correctly as well as I do, and I know you feel the same way, but could it be that our conditioning, our worldview conditioning could be leading us to assume things that aren't true? So, so to the review, our assumptions about our worldview and the nature of things will either inhibit or encourage our ability to see what God's doing in the world. And your worldview will either help or hinder your comprehension and your belief of certain truths. Our worldview is either a screen or a clear set of lenses that will either help or hurt us. And the application is this, that we must put on new spectacles. We must put on a new set of spiritual lenses so that we can see things that we couldn't see before. It's not that those things weren't there before, it's just now we can see them. Our worldview, your worldview, passes from generation to generation with minimal change. And the fact is, is that you and I have no idea how much our culture actually controls how we interpret and understand the Bible. And this is one of the issues that all of us should take up with historical criticism. 
Sometimes we take our modern worldview with our modern lenses and we read the Bible through those lenses. And when we do this, we're flipping through the pages and our brain is making split-second decisions and we're trying to decide from page to page, well, this, is, this seems irrelevant. I don't know what that means, so I'm going to keep reading. Well, this seems unattainable. That doesn't seem important. Ooh, that one seems important. Can't mess with that because they'll throw me out of the church. If I mess with that, I'll get kicked out. But here's what I believe about you, and here's what I know about me. We have more integrity than that. None of us are actually, you know, actively cognizant that that process is happening when we read the Bible. But the fact is, is that we do it. I do it, and you do it. And because of our Western rationalism, because of our materialism, because of our empirical mindset, we have difficulty understanding the cosmic reality of the scriptures. And nearly all Christians, all Christians that we know of, would believe in the accuracy of the Bible, the accuracy of the scriptures, uh, that accurately, it would accurately describe the story of God. And we believe the book, we trust the book, and many of you, I know you, You've built your life, you've organized your life around the principles of the book. But when we read the book, we read it through a worldview that inhibits our understanding of the book. From the very first pages of the New Testament, when Jesus comes all the way to Revelation, we're seeing the empirical world collide with the cosmic spiritual world, with the supernatural. There are healings. There are dreams from God. There are prophecies. There are tongues and the interpretation of tongues. There's supernatural manifestations that cannot be explained rationally, all between God and humans. And we see all that. But in our world, in our time, and in our age, we are not conditioned for that. Let me put it this way. Most of you tonight, you're going to go to bed on time because you want to start the work week well. You're going to go to bed on time, and you're going to put on your pajamas, and maybe you have a stocking cap, and you're going to set your phone alarm to the nice ringer, not the, not the jarring one. You're going to go to bed, and you're going to gently fall asleep. Maybe this is a prophetic word. You are going to sleep well tonight. Uh, but, <laughs> but like, Amen <laughs> for all the middle-aged people. Um, but when you, go, when you go to bed... You are not expecting an angel to come to you tonight to tell you what to do with your life. It's a sign from God. You are not anticipating that kind of leading in your life. But the problem is, is that when we read the New Testament, this is the kind of leading that's all over the place. We see it going on. Well, why did it go on? It went on because there is a supernatural reality in our world that is taking place whether we're, regardless of whether we're aware of it or not. Well, why don't we receive it today? Because we resist it. Our worldview conditions us to resist it. Is it still happening today? Yes, definitely happening today. Uh, you can, you, a number of people in this room have prayed for people and have seen the supernatural take place. I just got off the phone on Friday with another pastor in Denver. They've been praying for healing every week in their services. They've seen some healings already start to happen. Yeah, it happens there. And what, what's more interesting is that like we're a part of a group of churches called The Vineyard that's seen consistent and regular miracles and supernatural phenomena taking place for the last 40 years, only because we ask for it. 
Really only because we asked. There's nothing special about our, our group of churches. There's nothing that makes us better. We're just willing to ask. That's the only difference. Not only that, in the two-thirds world, outside of the Western rationalistic mindset, miracles abound. In fact, that's the only way to get things done in churches in Africa, sub-Saharan Africa, and different parts of Asia. Uh, there's a writer by the name of Craig Keener. He's a New Testament scholar. He's written a number of volumes called Miracles. And in this book, he's taken the same approach that the Apostle Luke, or the writer Luke, he's not Apostle, the writer Luke took when he documented and researched and he went to all the people, all the eyewitnesses, and he calculated and added up and tried to determine if the stories of Jesus were true. And then he wrote it down in the book of Luke and Acts. Uh, in the same way, Craig Keener, in his book Miracles, has really gone across the whole globe. And what he's doing is he's acting like an eyewitness. He's going to talk to eyewitness accounts, and he's demonstrating that there is a consistent pattern of God's supernatural hand throughout, uh, throughout the world right now. We're seeing people who are like burned beyond recognition, instantly healed. They're seeing people who were dead, raised back to life. They're seeing people with conditions that they were born with that there is just no cure for, suddenly cured from those things. They're seeing God uh, remove evil spiritual forces from communities and setting them up so that there's better relationship between husband and wife and child. It's happening around the world. It's happening in our, in a little bit in our church. That's why I'm talking about this. I was hoping it would happen a little bit more, uh, but it is happening around the world. And, um, and it's available to us whether we know we can see it or not. And um, I think the issue is that we just haven't tuned into it. And my hope for us, my hope for us, I'm going to close now. Um, my hope for us is that we would begin to challenge the assumptions of our own worldview. And every time we say, you know what? Every time we have that voice in the back of our mind, you know what? I don't think I could be healed from this. I want us to start saying, really? Are you sure about that? And every time there's a loved one, we say, I don't know if they could be healed from that condition. I want us to challenge our, the assumption of our worldview and be like, really? Are we sure about that? Every time there is a person in our life that is so far from God that we would say, there's no way they're going to come into life with Jesus. We need to start saying, really? Are we sure about that? Or is there something that the Heavenly Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, might want to do in their lives that we just didn't understand, that we just can't figure it out? Maybe there's a financial situation. Uh, maybe there's an injustice that is happening in our community. I just think we need to be able to say, really? Are we sure about that? Do we really understand the full picture of what God wants to do? Or are we allowing our biases and our worldview to hamper us from really experiencing the fullness of what God has? Are you with me? Are you with me? I don't think the problem is with him. I think sometimes the problem is with us. And I think this is a partnership problem. God can do whatever he wants, but God also wants you to be open to him as well. Let's be people that widen our worldview. And so my invitation to you today is for you to try to do that. Yeah, I don't think you really need to start by doing anything like, oh, I'm more woke today, because <laughs> that would be dumb. But really, you need to ask, Holy Spirit, help me to see what I can't see before more. I, I couldn't see it. I can't, I can't see it. I don't know what I don't know. But God, can you help me? Can you help me to see the things I need to see? And can you help me, God, to step out in faith where I need to step out in faith?